Um, I couldn't help but think about one of the songs we were singing, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, when you start thinking about RUF and who we are. The line that says, two wonders I confess. Well, another way that we could say that tonight is two wonders that we confess here at RUF. If you want to know who we are, maybe this is your first time to RUF. Is we are a group of people, a ministry that confesses our unworthiness, our need for a Savior, our need to be rescued, but at the very same time, we also hold out the other wonder of God's redeeming love for His people. Um, so if, if you're here and you're new to RUF, we're really glad you're here. Um, we have been doing a study this semester on relationships, and we've covered the gamut. We've talked about a little bit of everything, and last couple of weeks we talked about manhood, uh, or manhood, then last week womanhood, and tonight we're going to talk about dating. And I've said this a few weeks ago, it's worth saying again, um, RUF, they, we, we do this most of the time, we, we march straight through books of the Bible, uh, and this is one of the only topical things we do, and we do it once every four years because it, relationships is something very relevant to where you are at this stage in your life, 18 to 22 years old. Uh, and so we talk about that and look, look at what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, but I want to say this, is a lot of the stuff that you're hearing is stuff that all campus ministers uh, share with one another. And so not a whole lot original to me. I just want to say that. These are things that have been passed down even through the years. And one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is on the topic of dating. Uh, there was a campus minister here before me by the name of Les Newsom, who has done a lot of thinking about dating, uh, and lots of what I've learned and what I'm going to share with you tonight, I've learned from him. So I just want to say that uh, from the get-go. Uh, but when you think about this topic of dating, you need to think about the movie 500 Days of Summer, <laughs> okay? Because as you think about that movie, there's a particular scene I want to reference but that is a perfect window and picture into the dating culture and into the context of the dating in the world in which we live. You've, many of you have seen the movie. I've heard you talk about it. Um, and, you know, the, the main character, or one of the main characters is Tom. In the climax of the movie, he falls in love with Summer, and there's this increasing frustration about their relationship that's growing inside of him because they have this thing going on where they're trying to avoid labels of boyfriend and girlfriend. And then he keeps getting frustrated, and it reaches a breaking point. And you probably remember this scene. He's standing in Summer's bedroom, and he says this. I know we don't want to put labels on this, but I just need... You remember what he says? I just need some consistency. And then in frustration, he says this. How do I know that you won't wake up in the morning and change the way you feel about me? Boom. There it is. That is a perfect window and picture into our struggles with dating in our context. That is a perfect illustration, and you've heard me say it, and I've heard you say it, but that's why dating sucks. <laughs> because you're looking at the person that you're dating, and there is no guarantee that they're not going to wake up the next day, the next week, the next year, the next two years, 
and all of a sudden change the way they feel about you. And you know that. And deep down, that inherent knowledge of that fact leads you to move out into your relationships with insecurity, fear, anxiety, and being extremely controlling. Because you know nothing is binding them to you. And you spend the whole relationship clinging to them so that they don't change the way they feel about you. And that is what actually leads to the psycho dating relationships. You know what I mean? Like the, that's what I said this a few weeks ago, like the couple out in front of Mar- Martin and Stockard that are having nuclear war at 2 in the morning and you can hear them. That's where that comes from. That's why like, we go over the top and we start, why didn't you text me back? You waited 30 minutes to text me back. What's going on? Who are you with? Where are you at? Or we start looking at the text messages and we start overanalyzing them and saying, you didn't use the emoji this time. <laughs> or you didn't use enough punctuation marks. And we start overanalyzing every single thing. That's where it comes from. And here's what I want to say at the beginning. I am pro-dating. Go date. Go have fun. That's awesome. Dating is not the problem. And the Bible never talks about dating being the problem. The Bible says the problem is not outside of you with some system. The problem is inside of you with your heart. And the sin that resides in you drives you to fear and insecurity and anxiety. Here's my hope tonight, is don't worry about a system, but what I want us to accomplish tonight, what I hope happens, is that you're able to take a step back and begin to see dating and the way our culture thinks about dating and even your own dating relationships and to start to make more sense of it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not sure what you believe about Christianity. Maybe you're not a Christian. I'm glad you're here. I think this is going to be... um, encouraging to you as well. Because what I hope is no matter where you find yourself with Christianity, that you too, I want to encourage you to listen to what is said tonight and maybe, just maybe, it will explain the craziness and the joy and the chaos and the wreckage that often characterizes our dating relationships. Let me pray ask God to help us before we look at this topic. Father, you tell us in your word that you give us everything we need for life and godliness. You give us your son and you give us a clear picture of what Jesus has done for us. And we saw that in our passage that we uh, read earlier. Father, as we look at this topic, this is a hard topic for some of us to look at. Because we've been very hurt by the dating relationships that we've been in in the past. Others of us tonight are incredibly lonely uh, because we're not dating anyone and maybe even angry uh, because we really want to be in a dating relationship or have someone that we feel that connected to. Father, lots of us too feel shame and guilt about the way we've dated. And more than anything, we need to see the reality of Jesus and his love for us. Give us wisdom and insight, but also give us great hope and encouragement tonight as well. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The hard part is we think about a topic of dating, and particularly as we look at the Bible in dating, what's hard about that? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about dating. The Word is not in the Bible, okay? And so that makes it very difficult to talk about. In fact, the word dating didn't show up in print until around 1914. And so dating is basically a modern construct that we have created, our society has created in a way for people to get to know each other with hopes of maybe seeing whether or not they want to pursue marriage. That's what dating is, a modern construct. So what do we do then? Well, at that point, uh, we take biblical principles, we take wisdom, we take wisdom of people that have gone before us and we pull those things out and, they apply, and we apply them to this unique cultural construct that we call dating. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. And I say that to say and just admit on the front end that we are entering in to the realm of speculation here. And so it's okay for you to disagree with me, but I do want you to wrestle with this. And if you want to talk and work these things out with me, I would love to do that. Email me, text me, let's grab coffee, let's grab lunch, and let's talk about some of these things. But three things we're going to look at in this topic of dating. If you have an outline, you can see it there. The way we date, the problem with the way we date, and the remedy to the problem. So way, problem, remedy. Let's look at number one, the way we date. Look at the Genesis passage on your announcement sheet, verse 26. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Let us make man in our image. Very significant, okay? That's God speaking. And notice God refers to himself not in the singular, but in the plural. He says us. And so what we learn is that from the very beginning of the Bible... The Christian God is a God that exists in community. The Father, this is what Christians have called the Trinity or the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is a perfect picture because it's a picture of who God is. It is God. It's a perfect picture of a relationship. It's the perfect picture of love and harmony and peace in relationship. And what's interesting is though it's the perfect relationship, even within the Trinity, there are roles. There are defined roles within the Trinity. For example, the Father calls people out to salvation. The Son's role is to come down into the world and to go to the cross and accomplish that salvation. The Holy Spirit's role is to take that salvation that Jesus has accomplished and apply it to the hearts of people. Okay, there are defined roles. And here's my point. Every relationship begs for definition. Every relationship begs for definition. Every single relationship is loaded with the question, what are we? Now, I admit that there are lots of relationships where that's obvious and intuitive, of course. For example, I don't have to ask that question with my relationship with my wife, Susie. You don't have to ask that question with your relationship with your parents. You know the roads. Your relationship with your professors, that's intuitive, that's obvious. But when it comes to your friendships and when it comes to people that you're romantically interested in, the question of what are we gets a little more fuzzy, doesn't it? 
Here's what I'm wanting you to get here at this first point is I am simply trying to point out the instinct that all relationships in some way, shape, or form beg for definition. And I want you to hold on to that thought and think about it, particularly in terms of the way we date in our culture and in our context. Understanding what I'm about to say I'm generalizing. I know not all relationships follow this pattern. I'm just going to make a general kind of observation of the way we do it. And it normally starts with an individual noticing someone else in a particular social context. You notice someone at a game or in the grove or at a football game or in your class or at a party or maybe even tonight in RUF. Someone, for some reason, has caught your eye. Maybe their personality, maybe it's the way they dress, maybe it's their demeanor, maybe it's the way they look, but someone has captured your eye and you start to gravitate towards them socially. You start to stalk them on Instagram. (laughs) I know, I talk to you. You start to maybe text them. And so you begin, maybe at something like RUF, you kind of sit near them so that maybe you can get in a conversation with them after RUF is over and actually have some form of social contact with them. So you start to gravitate towards them in some way. Then the low-level flirting begins to take place. And here's what's interesting about the low-level flirting is you think it's totally discreet that no one notices... And everyone notices. And then at some point, after this period of low-level flirting, there begins to be some sort of social buzz about you. Okay? And it's basically, hey, have you noticed? They seem to be spending a whole lot of time together. And then at some point, there comes some version of the first date. It could be a formal ask-out or an informal date. Uh, formal dates, unfortunately, are rare now because guys won't man up and ask girls out. Girls, that was for you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, totally kidding. Um, so there's some formal version of the ask out. Let's go to coffee. Let's go uh, to dinner, whatever. Or it could be an informal ask out, and that's where you're watching a movie with a a group of friends or maybe studying together, or maybe you know their schedule and instead of going the shortest route home, (laughs) say, I get this, come on now. So instead of knowing, you know that you don't go the shortest route, you kind of go the long way because you know when they're getting out of class and then you end up in the grove talking and you miss your next class. Some form of the first date, informal or formal, occurs. And then what starts to happen is there's this new element of social isolation. Something's different between you. Though that you might not be acknowledging that what's different. And that can vary in length. Okay, that can go on for a quick, that could be a few weeks, it could be a few months, it could be a long time. Girls, uh, guys normally like for that to go as long as possible because there's no risk involved for them. But at some point, you get, when you start to do that, you get that really annoying question. Anybody know what that annoying question is? 
Are you dating? Are you whatever you, you want to call it? And why is that so annoying to you? Because you don't know. You do not know what's going on. And so what that does is it forces you to have the talk. It forces you to define the relationship. Remember, every relationship begs for definition. And so you have the talk. You have the DTR. It formalizes the relationship. And, and, and institutionalizes the relationship in some way so that on the other side of that talk, you start to use different phrases. We're going out. We're dating. Boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you want to say, you're acknowledging that you are more than just friends. Again, I'm being general. But that's what we call in our culture oftentimes what we refer to as dating. That's the general way that we do it. And the question maybe you're asking was, what's wrong with that? What's the problem with that? And that leads to the second point. The problem with the way we date. And what I want to do here is highlight two problems with that pattern of dating. And I want to kind of set up the first one by telling you a story. Les Newsom tells a story about when he was the campus minister here several years ago. He had this girl come into his office. She had been dating this guy for about six months, and it had started to intensify. And she comes in, and she plops down in the chair, and she said, what finally happened? We're finally official. We're, we're dating now. And he's, of course, happy for her and is excited. And he says, well, you mind if I ask you just a couple of questions? She says, no, go right ahead. And he says, okay, what's different now that was not also true last night? And she looked at him and goes, well, I guess now we're only dating each other. And he said, no, well, that was true yesterday. That's been true for like six months now. And she looked very confused, and he says, what I'm asking is what has changed between the two of you? And she still looked at him very confused, and so Les got more specific and said, let me make this easier on you. Let's suppose in a, a month, six months, a year from now, this really great guy who's a godly man and who you're attracted to comes and asks you out on a date and you want to go. She looked at him, and she thought, and she was hesitant, but she said, well, I guess we'd have to break up then. You see, that's the key. Listen to this. Our understanding of dating, it's so built into the way we think and the way we act that we never stop to reflect, never stop to actually think about the gravity of what's just been articulated. Let me unpack that. When we start dating, and we have that talk that kind of does something to the relationship and says, this is different than that, how I'm relating to every other person. It makes it official and it feels different because you answer the question of what are we? 
And you kind of know where you now stand with the other person. And it seems to answer that question and takes away a little bit of the awkwardness and a little bit of uh, the uncomfortableness and insecurities are gone for just a little while because you've had that talk. But here it is. The truth is, nothing has really changed. And listen, you can disagree with me about this. But I don't care what you think about dating, whether you've kissed dating goodbye or whether you're into courtship or whatever you think about dating, okay? It doesn't matter. Everyone agrees with what I'm about to say. No matter what you think about dating, everyone says that dating does not bind you to anyone. Why? Well, because you don't have one of these. You're not married. You're not in covenant with another person. And so the agreement of dating is this. We're dating today, but tomorrow we might not be. And you might say, Jason, no, 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 you don't get my relationship. We're committed. We've been dating for two years. We've planned our wedding. We've planned the day. We're talking about children's names. We we are committed And I want to say this as gently as possible. You're not committed. Couples break up every single day. Couples that have been dating one year, three years, four years, five years, seven years. There's a couple, a girl that graduated a few years ago from Ole Miss that had been dating. She actually came to Ole Miss with this guy. They had been dating seven years. You think they talked about children's names? Absolutely. You think they talked about their wedding? Absolutely. They move, they go and end up, in, they move to the same city, again, with hopes of getting married. He shows up at her door one night, ends the relationship, a week later starts dating someone else. You see, here's you got to hear this. The problem with the way we date, in a nutshell, is this. Dating is making an exclusive commitment that is, by definition, not exclusive and not a commitment. Let me say it again. Dating is making an exclusive commitment that is, by definition, not exclusive and not a commitment. Second problem is dating... And following this pattern in dating often leads to many marriages. It often leads to you infusing all the obligations and expectations and behaviors of a marriage into a dating relationship. Here's what I mean. We think, well, we're dating now, therefore I have the right to demand this person's time. And so you have a Friday morning... And the girl, or the guy looks at the girl and says, hey, I'm going home this weekend. My brother's playing, you know, he's a senior and he's playing football and I want to see him one more time and I'm going to hang out with my family. And the girl responds and says, why are you just telling me this? I mean, I thought we had plans this weekend. I I thought we were going to spend, I just assumed that we were going to hang out and be together. What am I supposed to do now? And you see the assumption We're dating, therefore, I am entitled to your time. And any frustration 
that we sense basically says that I'm not getting what I'm entitled to. Or maybe we say we're dating now, and now that we're dating, I have the right to demand your attention. And this is the couple that's driving home after the party, and the guy is completely silent, and the girl is trying to have a conversation, and he's just totally shut down, and she keeps saying, what's wrong, what's wrong? Nothing, I'm good. You know what I mean here? And then the girl keeps asking, and finally he says, all right, I felt like a complete idiot at the party because you started talking to all these other guys and you started talking to all your friends and I, I just felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to and you totally left me high and dry at the party. Are you sure you're in this? Are you sure your heart's really in this relationship? And then what happens is you go round and round for like two hours and then you finally get it worked out. But here's my point. It never gets even questioned whether that person has the right to demand your attention and demand that they never leave your side and talk to only you at the party. It's just assumed. Because we think, we're dating, therefore I own this person. And I have the right to their attention. Or maybe the last one is, we're dating, now I have the right to your body. You see, what's interesting is when couples come and talk to me and they feel bad and they feel guilty and they're saying, Jason, we're really struggling physically. We want to back off. We want to have more self-control, which is really good. But my question is this. It's always framed in terms of we're struggling. And the question that I want to ask is why do you assume that you have the right to that person's body in the first place? You see, it never gets questioned. The unquestioned assumption is that I have the right to do those things with you physically and sexually because we are dating. And here's my thing. What if we, instead of dating with demands and dating, dating as if we own the other person, what if we looked at the person we're dating and said, it is such a privilege for me to get to spend time with you. You know, I don't know whether we're going to break up or get married. I don't know how this is going to end. But what if we both were secure enough in who we are in Jesus that instead of worrying about all of that, we just freed up to enjoy the time that we do have with one another. You see, my point is that oftentimes those types, when we start putting demands and expectations and behaviors. We put demands and expectations that you would expect in a marriage, not in a dating relationship. And if you want those kinds of expectations and you want to have those kinds of demands over a person, it's simple. Quit playing married and go get married. Go stand before God and witnesses and marry them. Because dating is not a real commitment. And by definition, it cannot, and here's what I want you to hear, it cannot bear the weight of marital expectations. It's way too flimsy for that. Think about it. That is why when we start putting into our dating relationships these kinds of expectations and demands, it actually crushes the relationship. Why? Because dating was never meant to bear that. Only marriage can bear those kinds of demands. Last point, so how do we fix it? What's the remedy? 
<clears throat> and again, I, you know, here's where you might be thinking, Jason, so, so you're telling us not to date. No. I'm telling you, go date. The Bible comes at this from this angle and says basically this, and this is where I kind of want to come, come, come at it from. Quit worrying about the system. Dating is not wrong. The Bible doesn't advocate like arranged marriages or online dating or uh, courtship or, or the way we think about dating. The Bible never advocates one of those. Why? Because the Bible says the problem's not the system. Who cares about the system? The Bible comes and says the problem is your heart. You see, a particular dating method, and some people have thought this, is not going to guarantee you a healthy relationship. You want to be guaranteed a healthy relationship? It starts with addressing your heart. And what I want to say is that the only remedy or repair for your dating relationships that are often marked with insecurity, fear, and anxiety and dominated by those things is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the reason, reason why your dating relationships are driven and controlled by insecurity and fear is because you don't know who you are. Look at John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. It's on your announcement sheet. Now think about this just for a second and we'll close. This is amazing. John is saying that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are the resources available to you that give you the confidence to face the largest threat to you in the entire world, and that is the judgment of God. Think about that just for a second. John is saying that you can face the judgment of God without fear and without anxiety. You can face those things actually with confidence. And think about it. God, the Bible says, knows everything about you. He knows what you do in secret. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows your heart. And not only does the Bible say God knows you all the way to the bottom, but the Bible says God says that you have to be perfect. That you have to be perfectly obedient, never failing once. Now think about that just for a second. So then the question is, if you're thinking and you're tracking with me, okay, Jason, how in the world can you say that when I am so rebellious against God right now in this moment? How can you say that someone as rebellious against God as me can have the confidence to stand before the God of the universe on judgment and stand there? Look at verse 18. Keep going. Perfect love drives out fear. I love that verse. Perfect love drives out fear. When you know God's love towards you, that is what drives away all of your fears and insecurities. Well, how do you know God loves you? That's the next question. Look at verse 10. You want to see an objective demonstration of God's love for you? John says, look at the cross. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, we see that God the Father emptied all of His wrath and judgment on His one and only Son, Jesus. 
And He took your place. And so the Gospel is this. Instead of you getting wrath, Jesus gets wrath. And not only that, Jesus gives you... Remember, you've got to be perfect. Jesus gives you His perfect record in obedience of righteousness. That's why Jesus had to live a perfect life. He gives you that perfect righteousness so that God pours all of His wrath out on Jesus and all of His judgment on Jesus, and He has only love for you. And so here's the question. What in the world does that have to do with dating? Well, think about it. If God took His one and only Son and poured His judgment and wrath out on Him, and He did that so that He could have you, friends, You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because God knows the hairs on your head. He feeds the birds of the air and He clothes the lilies of the field. And if He cares about those things, how much more is He going to care about you, His child who's created in His image? And when you think about the details of your life all the way down to your dating relationships... You can trust Him. You see, the assurance of God's love for you is where the power and the strength comes to date well. Look at verse 16. So that now we know and rely upon God's love. You see, when you know God's love like this, and it becomes personal to you, and you rely on it, and you know it, it pushes out fear and insecurities, and instead, you then move out into the world with strength and confidence. God's love for you gives you the strength and confidence to not be defined by the dating relationship and not have that be your identity. So that if something were to happen to that relationship and it were to end tomorrow, sure, you would be sad, but it would not crush you. It gives you the strength and confidence to date with freedom rather than insecurity and fear. Imagine this. How different would our dating relationships look? Not just dating, our whole life. How different would it look if instead of being driven by fear and insecurity, we would be driven by strength and confidence that God loved me and that God will not reject me. You see, that is what is offered to you tonight in the Gospel. That's an invitation. Let's pray.